0: You're listening to the Bob and Bo Show. Here, are your hosts, Ty Bob, Ty Bo, and Sean. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Ty Bob, joined by Ty Bo and Sean. We are coming. At you after a big overtime victory over the Tennessee Titans, twenty to seventeen. Like I said, in overtime, we will be covering that. But the boys got together together over the weekend. We joined up in Weston at the Whiskey Fest. Had a little bit of fun. Had a lot of whiskey. Um, there's a lot. There was a lot there. And one thing that Sean and I posed to Tybo, like you know up. We all asked each other, you know, what are your favorite whiskeys? And then we posed to Taibo, we need your top five whiskeys that came out of this event. Because I tell you, there's probably close to a hundred of different years and different bottles that each vendor had. And man, they were amazing. So Tybo, Taibo, goodness, give us your top five speaking in the third first. person. A little <laughs> bit. Um yeah, I'm
1: just I'm writing down the last two here, and I will get to it. Um, <laughs> I will. I'll give you my honorable mention. Uh, Maker's Mark was there, and their their Maker's Forty Six um, was was damn good. Um, I I think the only thing we, I mean, it was unpreventable. You were not, we weren't able to prevent this. We had a lot of good stuff at the beginning and we had what was left at the end was the stuff that was biting a little bit more. And uh, when you're drinking a lot of whiskey, that's, that's not necessarily uh, what you want to do, but the, the whiskeys that we had at the beginning of the whiskey fest were, were fantastic, but makers we had, had kind of close to the end. So it was refreshing to have um, outside of the other ones that we were having.
0: You do have to do it that way when you go to events like these, where the vendors only bring in so much of their stock because they don't. We missed go out home on a BlackBerry
1: any. whiskey that we were really wanting to try. But, in an hour,
0: within an hour, yeah. it was already gone. So we had to go hit the top brands that were around, the top whiskeys that were around. Otherwise, we we're going to miss them completely.
1: Yeah, and then you know, as we get further away from COVID, those—I mean—it's just going to get busier and busier. You know, like, it's it's probably not even to what it was before COVID. But, anyways, into the actual top five. My number five for the night was uh, the Truman Reserve. I believe it was a golden whiskey. Yes. Um, from Missouri. From Missouri. Really, really good mouthfeel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> whoa.
1: whoa! Phrasing. Phrasing. <laughs> no, you... People people use the term mouthfeel when they just dis- describe drinks, especially alcoholic beverages and wine. But I don't. I I thought that was funny because I'm not like qualified. Like I'm not whatever the equivalent of a sommelier is for whiskey. I'm not, not that a
2: guy who drinks whiskey occasionally. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, number four, uh, Basil Hayden. Um, that was a really good one. Do you do you remember which whiskey we tried? I, all I'm remembering is the brand here
0: it was um just their i think it was just like what a, their equivalent of their everyday it was their bourbon they've got a they've got a bourbon and then they've got a um i i can't remember off the top of my head what the second one was but it was just the bourbon
1: yeah it was good um it now that these this top three which my phone just died i i, I have it memorized out though um didn't plan that out very well the top three, my like, my I was blown away by the by the top three. The the bottom two were kind of close for me, Truman Reserve and Basil Hayden. I feel like they were they were very similar and it could have gone either way. But the top three were definitely my top three. And number three is Tullamore Dew's Caribbean Cask Caribbean Rum Cask Ooh. Whiskey. That shit was one of the first ones that really made me go like, oh my god, I like that. And it's it's, it's not. The typical flavor of a whiskey, you can you can kind of get the Caribbean feel to it, um, but I kind of like that, and it definitely had it didn't have any bite to it really. It was a smooth whiskey, um, went down very easy, um, but it was it was one of my favorites of the night. But sadly, it does end up at number three.
2: That was the one that me and Tabo up <laughs> tried something completely different to start with. And Tybo was just like, you know what? That one sounds really good. And (laughs) (laughs) we had to make a trip back just for that one.
1: Yeah. Definitely one of the favorites for the night for me. Um, Number two was the first whiskey that we tried um, of the night. Um, I think you guys tried the single malt and I tried a small batch. I went back and tried the single malt. Um, But Four Roses, their single malt whiskey was fantastic. Single barrel. Um, Single barrel, not single malt, whatever. Um, but I thought it was a little bit better than their small batch. But that small batch that they had there was also fantastic.
2: Yeah, we, we really had to the, go to the, after that one.
1: Yeah, that's what, was, that's what I was going to say. We really had to get there. First, one, first whiskey of the day, and it, it it stood out even throughout the rest of the night. <clears throat> but my number one, um, probably a, a you know one of the better known names in whiskey. Um, especially around the Midwest. Um, you see it at every bar. It's mostly the 12, but the, the Glenn 15, that one, my face really lit up. Like that was like a, that's your, that's kind of like a, a good whiskey standard right there. The Glen Fittich 15, um, you're, you're like a classic whiskey flavor, but you know, nothing to it, man. Like it's, it was very smooth. It was, it was warm. Um, like it was, it's what you want in a whiskey. Like not the whiskey itself wasn't warm, but no, that, that feeling, that warm feeling you get after drinking, you know, a, a bit of whiskey. It, it, you know, kind of starts from your chest and like goes out into your fingers. You kind of feel it like take over you. It's a good feeling.
2: I was going to say, I was a little cold going into that place, but after four roses and uh, yeah, Glenfiddich warmed right up.
1: We were good.
0: Yeah, uh, and the Glenfiddich. Um, so, so they do have a good mix there at the Whiskey Fest. The Glenfiddich is a scot uh, Scotch whiskey. They had Irish whiskeys and a large assortment of bourbon. the The fifteen is one uh, from Glenfiddich that you don't find in most places. Um, right. It is more reserved than even their eighteen year. It goes through a different distilling process, mixed with uh, different uh, spices than a typical Scotch. Um, so that's why it stands out to most people when they take it. It comes uh, in like a little, like a light blue label or bottle. Purple. It's purple. Purple. I knew it was a, it was a different color than like, I think we were used to seeing it. Yeah. But. You definitely don't get those purples when it comes to scotch. Um, mainly over, only in bourbon. That's the first time you guys have been there. I was really happy to experience that with you after going last year. And this year was... Much, much bigger. There were way more people. There was way more whiskey there. What were your guys' first thoughts of, of your first year at Whiskey Fest?
2: Well, my first thoughts were 10 minutes in after having like four or five whiskeys. I'm like, man, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to make it through the day. But in the three hours, I still made it through the day. And I will never forget McDuffins.
1: <laughs> no, I called it. <laughs> I called it McGuffins.
2: This place was called so, O'Malley's yeah. and called a McGuffins all night long.
1: <laughs> all night. I I mean, originally I don't even think I was trying to be funny. I was just no. trying to think of what something Irish, but then I had to I had to keep it going for the rest of the night. So
0: it was one of the Irish pubs we went to afterwards to get a little bite to eat. And uh boys got a couple black and tans. Um but yeah, the McGuffins, that was fantastic.
2: They were neither they were not tan at all.
0: No, nope, it was just
1: straight no. Guinness. I do know. And I, I said this that night, but what pissed me off was I saw two perfectly poured black tents walk right by me. Somebody else just, just got one and it was perfect. So what the hell happened to ours?
0: Well, folks, as we get away from the uh, Saturday and into the games that happened on Sunday and Monday, We do have a little bit of news before we start everything off. There was a tweet uh, from Adam Schefter about a schedule change that is uh, flex to Sunday night football. The Chiefs and Chargers game has been flexed from November the 20th. That will go from, I believe it was a 325 game to the uh, 720 game um, and be that Sunday night's uh, showdown. Now there is... Um, quite a bit to look forward to here as we are now in the season in which games can be flexed. Um, so a few things to keep your eyes on, um, the next, I I went through and looked at a couple things here. And the next time that I see the chiefs being able to flex is on week 13. Um, now one thing one other thing is is teams can have a set a max of seven prime time games that's Sunday Sunday night Thursdays and Mondays those are your prime time games so you can have a max of seven right now the Kansas City Chiefs being flexed into the Sunday night spot on the 20th that is six so we only get one more Um on week 13, Sunday night football is Colts versus the Cowboys while the Chiefs play the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. That could be the flex. That is probably the best game of that week is Chiefs Cincinnati. Um, I would keep your eyes on that. Well, we're also keeping in mind the, uh, the how bad the Broncos are, the Chiefs play the Broncos in week 14 Sunday night. The next best game that week is Jets versus Bills. Could even be Browns versus the Bengals, depending on how good Deshaun Watson plays when he comes back. Um, So expect the Kansas City Chiefs to potentially be flexed out of the Sunday night spot in week 14. To finish it off, if the Chiefs are flexed for week 14, that would mean that we are down to six and can go back up with one game uh, to make our max of seven. And there's one week before the end that everybody needs to keep their eyes on. That's week 16 where the chiefs play at home versus the Seattle Seahawks. The current game slated for Sunday night on week 16 is the Raiders and the Steelers who are both really bad teams. They both would have already had um, their uh, equal share of what the primetime games are. So, Potentially expect some changes to come through, maybe more than we've seen so far throughout the previous seasons when they were getting pretty flex-happy. This could be a really interesting time for some flex games. With that, the Kansas City Chiefs did get a big win against the Titans, who still lead their division, who are number two in the AFC uh four playoffs. They do now fall to third due to the matchup uh, or the head to head with Kansas City. There are quite a few things that did go wrong in this game to keep it a 2017 score. What were some of the things that you saw that went wrong?
1: Blocking. Pat was on Pat was on the run all game. And was the, this this wasn't one of the better showings from OB um Wiley um Trey Smith went back and forth um I you know the offensive line didn't did not perform to what they were capable of and we didn't want to see them play down to the level of of who we were playing and I'm not saying that the Titans are bad but our offensive line is definitely better than what they showed on Sunday night
2: yeah I think that that this was the most pressures Pat's ever had in his career with 18 and they pretty much did that with only four rushers all night. So that was really worris- worrisome to see. Uh, I'm going to have to go with what went wrong was the running game. I could just tell from the very first drive, they were throwing it right away. They were not going to get that going, but it proved to be right because they could not run the ball with the shit.
0: You're hundred percent right. Um, Patrick Mahomes threw the ball 68 times. He nearly tied the record at 70, uh, which I, I think that record goes back to like 72 or so it, it, it's back there a little ways. Um, that's, that's not what we want to see. The, the gap, uh, Patrick Mahomes completed 43 passes. as uh, this comes from NFL research. Patrick Mahomes completed 43 passes while Malik Willis completed five. The gap of 38 is the largest in a game in the Super Bowl era, breaking the previous record of 36 from the 59 and uh, 59 to nothing Patriots win over the Titans in week six of 2009. <laughs> Not pretty, <laughs> that definitely didn't go right. Um, Something that went wrong for me, um, mainly just early in the game, was uh, the defensive splits, just allowing the gaps through the defensive line, not really filling or flowing from the defensive line or from the linebacker perspective. Um, That obviously got corrected later on, but early on in the game, the boys were just getting worked down below on the defensive side, and it was not a pretty sight.
1: Well, and for for bits of this game, they also didn't want to tackle either. We gave up. I mean, Derrick Henry was their offense, uh, over a hundred yards and two touchdowns. So,
0: is their offense? Uh, that's this is what yeah. they've been doing. You know, that's the game plan that they go in with. How does how does how do we not see this coming earlier?
1: But at the same time, they only scored seventeen points. Like uh, I, I would say, of the two sides of the ball, the defense played
0: a better game. Of course. Yes.
2: Yeah. Barring a few big plays, the Titans had the defense held them in check for pretty much the whole entire night. They busted off two big plays to actually get in range to do anything. And as we said in the pregame show, the Titans were one of the top, they're the top two red zone efficient teams in the NFL. So if they're down there, they have a great chance of scoring.
0: Yeah. When you talk about efficiency Um, this one stood out to me from Warren sharp. Uh, He was talking about the offensive touchdown rate inside the five yard line. Um, So if these teams are getting inside five or really inside the red zone, they're scoring Uh, Tennessee's at 82%, which we did a fantastic job of holding that out, or at least not letting them get that far in Kansas city sits all the way down at eight with 55%. That's not where we want to be. Um, but the most surprising at all or of all is Buffalo sits in dead last at 25%, which is, which is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the defense did well before we get into the things that went right. What are some of the things that concern you moving forward that you saw from this game? For me, it's gotta be the tackling. Um you can't. Obviously, it picked up towards the end, but you can't come out whiffing on multiple plays. Whether it's stuffing the run or or running down a a receiver, um, you got to get dudes on the ground. You can't just go in and try to arm tackle in this league. Guys are way too big. They're way too strong, uh, and we've seen that be a little bit of a continuous problem so far through this season.
2: Yeah, I better yeah. go with uh, blocking here like Typos said earlier with what well, we're on earlier, this offensive line for the most part seems to be very wishy-washy in what games they want to play in. And you know, the Titans, you've been preparing for them for two weeks now with the bye, you know, they are a physical team. You have to come out, be prepared for that. And they just did not come out prepared for that. So,
1: yeah, the offensive line is certainly worrisome, but I think overall, um, uh, the thing that I'm, I've had a problem with Kansas, like this team, you know, s- since the year after the Super Bowl, And um, I, I almost feel like to the ones around me, the ones that know me, I, I've, I've, I've talked about this till I'm blue in the face. And it's not even like a point of contention anymore. Cause I just understand the team that I'm going to get, but it's, it's the offensive play calling. Like, I know that we have, probably the greatest quarterback that's ever going that has played this game so far and he's good at throwing the ball. But when we throw the ball 68 times a game at a certain point, we still, we, we, we feel like stagnant. We, we are, we are with how many weapons we have, with how many different ways that we can move the ball, we still feel one dimensional and a mixture of, poor pass blocking and throwing the ball 68 times a game isn't good for him and the longevity of his career. But we can't – I understand that we're going to have some issues with the run game with the running backs that we have. We have a rookie bruiser that, you know, doesn't make the best decisions all the time. We have a receiving back that doesn't um, run well on the NFL level. And then we have Jarek McKinnon who is – injury prone, but a lot of people are saying he's the best running back on the roster. If we don't figure out a way to get the running game going and not abandon it, you know, it's, it's going to look a lot like this game and there's better defenses out there than Tennessee.
0: We've seen Kansas city's offense be completely unstoppable when it incorporates the run game. What I find so ridiculous is that we have got an offensive coordinator who was a running back in college and in the pros for a little bit. He has been with the Kansas City Chiefs for numerous years now, not just in the offensive coordinator position, but as the running backs coach, yet still cannot get the running game going since we lost Kareem Hunt. What does that say about Eric Bieniemy?
2: Does that say that Andy Reid's going to over call him there or that's the real question because it's Andy's playbook
0: a lot of people go back and forth with that and I'm just I'm not a person who is ever this is a crappy play calling game this one's Eric the enemy this one's a good play calling game this one's Andy Reid like they both are going to have a share and now add Matt Nagy into that as well being a not just our quarterbacks coach but he is uh involved in how our offense coordinates um let's not take away credit from Eric Bieniemy, and let's not give too much credit to somebody else he is the offensive coordinator of course Andy is going to have the the final say so any head coach is going to have the final say so on anything whether that's offense defense or special teams but at the end of the day it's Eric Bien- Eric Bieniemy's offense at the end of the day, if he's going to go and look for a head coaching gig or an offensive coordinating gig at another team, they are going to use what he's doing in Kansas City as the offensive coordinator, and we should be able to judge the uh, what happens on the field based upon play calling on his portion because that's his job, regardless if somebody else is this guru or it's their offense or it's their defense. Um, because it would be, if Andy Reid was a defensive coach, we would be saying, well, what are these issues? Why is, you know, Spag's not calling the defense. It's Andy. It's We've got to give credit where credit is due, good or bad. So, I, I just
1: feel like, like, at the game, and, and probably watching it on TV too, there's never a point where you feel like the Chiefs are necessarily out of the game, right? The we were down by one score for you know a, a a a long period of time like i would say like it was um 17 to 9 for a while um but there there's a there was a a certain level of panic that you feel from the offense when they abandon the run like that when pat is th- is throwing the ball that much in a game that it, it doesn't there's a certain nervousness or like a like an on edge feeling because we know as fans we've essentially abandoned the game script and we're like pat go work your magic like and he I, he did he had, to, he had to he had to run for a third and 17 but is that the formula that's really going to win you games no it's the offense that we saw in the Bucks game. It's the offense that we saw um,
0: against the Chargers.
1: Against the hmm?
0: against the Chargers.
1: Maybe not the Chargers. We didn't. We only had a hundred passing yards that game. Um. God, who do who did we just beat before the Titans? Niners. Niners. The Niners. Yeah.
0: Um, do we see this as enemy's last uh, year in Kansas City, regardless if he finds a head coaching gig or not? Um, I am led to believe that it would be just because this team needs a fresh pair of eyes at the offensive coordinator position It's somebody. And, and that would be Matt Nagy, even though he is familiar, he has been outside of the facility uh, previous to this year for three years. For three years, so that would be considered a fresh set of eyes because um, his plan. Yeah, he just he went insane. to Chicago and and
1: everybody hated him. right? Yeah, they were if the fans were coming for his throat. We want that guy our offensive coordinator. Like uh, he, I, I'm, I'm all for a, a, a fresh, like a, a refresh at the offensive coordinator spot, but we think Matt Nagy's the guy to 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 be refreshing for us. I mean,
2: the last time he was in Kansas City was the year Patrick went off and had three touchdowns and over 5,000 yards before he left for Chicago. He was was the guy. He was was the guy calling the plays. he he was
0: the OC. He was the OC. He was the the guy who was one of the helpful reasons to get Patrick Mahomes on the field but also playing much more quickly and effectively – And one of the reasons why Pat threw for those, like Sean said, for those fifty-plus touchdowns, five thousand-plus yards, and that's the reason why Chicago wanted him so bad, and why he only spent a short amount of time as an offensive coordinator. I wouldn't necessarily pin Chicago's failures all on him, just because their defensive or just because their GM doesn't know how to bring in talent.
2: There was a lot more going on in Chicago besides just him. They drafted Mitch Trubisky first overall.
0: And it wasn't that wasn't his call.
2: No, and that was the year that Pat went so or after Pat, but he still had Mitch. That's not good.
0: Boys, there was a lot of things that there was a there's quite a few things that still went right in this game. What are some of the things that you saw that did go right? Travis Kelsey. <laughs> Well, I mean, even then, Travis Kelsey still had a 50% catch rate. He was dropping quite a bit. Yeah, he went 10 for 17. Uh, He's obviously going to get a lot of those targets, but he did have quite a few drops.
2: Another receiving option, Juju. Juju looked phenomenal. 10 catches in this game. I believe it was like
0: 89 yards. 88 yards, uh, 10 receptions on 12 targets as well.
2: Yeah. Very efficient. He took over Travis's role of finding the spot in the zone in the second half. Um, Titans
1: penalties on to, uh, <laughs> two point conversions. <laughs> Dude, that was, i
0: That's, was so that kind sick kind of saved of us the game. That. Like, oh no, it did, but I was so sick of seeing that. That was that crew is awful.
2: Uh, uh, Pat Mahomes looks like Gale Sayers whenever he's playing against the Titans. <laughs> he looks like the best person to run against the Titans at any moment.
1: Uh, he did, he did make Jeffrey Simmons. Isn't it Jeffrey Simmons? Jeffrey Simmons kind of eat his words. Uh, he he gave him just like the the subtle moves that he has when he's when he's scrambling outside the pocket are second to about no one in the league. Man, like Pat definitely is. Just, <laughs> He's got he's got a little he's got a little bit of a step
0: to him and he's not fast so i think it's for hilarious as, for as much pressure as the offensive line gave up and as much trash as Jeffrey Simmons was talking pregame uh he Jeffrey Simmons did in the game with zero tackles zero, t- zero tackles total zero tfls zero qb pressures zero qb hits zero sacks hmm. he ended up with Nolan void across the board Wow, beautiful! Uh, a bright and shining spot for me is going to be Kadarius Tony, was out on the field. Yeah, you said nine... it first. I was. <laughs> I
1: was also going to uh, say that
0: he was out on the field for nine of the one hundred snaps, only nine percent of the time. But he got two targets. He caught both of them for twelve yards. His routes were crisp. He was throwing chip blocks. He was doing... It. He looked like a guy who wants to play. I don't care what any of the new, the fake news outlets that were out there saying this guy doesn't love ball. This guy was just stuck in a place that didn't want him. And that happens around the league. That's not uncommon. But that guy went out there, played as hard as he could. He's going to be a bright shining spot for years to come in this Kansas City Chiefs offense. I am, for one, glad to have him here.
2: One of the biggest things that I saw from Kadarius was even if he didn't get a reception, he was the first person to cheer the person on right there. And just seeing that as a new guy coming in, he's ready to go. He's going to perform in this offense, man.
0: He was the first guy to pick up Pat when he was on the ground. He was the first guy to pick up anybody else. He was the first guy there to cheer. Like you said, he was there running down the sidelines, whether he was on the sideline or on the field, he was around these guys and it's good to see energy um like that. It's really good to see the the front office be able to pinpoint guys with that energy and that charisma and the guys who want to be there. Um it, it it shows that they know what they're doing uh and that they're continuing to look forward to the future, not just on guys who have talent, but who guys who have the correct attitudes.
2: Another big thing that went right in this game was. The defense in the second half, they played phenomenal. I loved watching that. And Malik Willis, Malik Willis paid a little homage to Alex Smith and did not complete a pass for wide receiver. He'll,
1: he'll so, I mean, he it. only had 80 yards on the night, right? Like... Yeah,
2: but to tight ends and running backs only, man, Like that just shows you how bad the Titans receivers are.
0: If only they had A.J. Brown. If only Um, then, like you said, to go along with the defense from Sam McDowell, the the Titans finished with 10 yards and one first down on their final 10 drives. It just goes to show how much of a change there was from the first half to the second half. And Chris Jones did talk about that about that in his presser as well uh, when he threw shots at Jeffrey Simmons.
1: They, the defense would be coming back out on the field, and we'd be like, can they do it again? Like again, they, they played their time. asses off in that second half.
0: Along with that defense, there's one guy who is getting talked about on Twitter but not enough in the media. Trent McDuffie has played 45 snaps in the NFL. This is his first game back since playing in the first quarter of the first game and getting injured. He's played 45 snaps and has yet to allow a reception.
1: I think that was one of the biggest factors in Malik Willis only hitting tight ends and running backs. Yeah. I, just didn't,
0: the- I, I, I didn't expect this from him. I didn't expect him to come back and play as much as he did and be that good. I didn't expect that from a rookie in game one, let alone being out as long as he was and doing that in week nine.
2: Well, I think we were talking about it earlier. I believe he was almost ready to go for The Niners, if not the game before that, but holding him out really proved to be the right move here. Get him that extra week with the bye week. Going there ready to go because he looked amazing out there. He was a lockdown corner.
1: At face value at this point, McDuffie is giving us the level of play of Tariq Woolen and Sauce Gardner just without the physical attributes. He's a little bit shorter. He's not as long.
0: I, th- I think there's still room for for Malik Willis to grow, but oh, he's going to be amazing in the future. He, he's going to be good. There's there's obviously something. we talking something about Malik new. or Trey McDuffie here? Sorry, I thought we were. Uh, I heard Malik. You can find me. Uh, yeah, Trey I McDuffie. I said Tariq
1: Woolen. Tariq Woolen, yeah, but that was yep. the, the level of play of <laughs> that another got me. cornerback. I'm oh, sorry. sorry, dude.
0: Nope, find me for that one. Um. Gotcha. um no, he did he he is playing. That is I, I think that's a fair assessment. Um who knows? If he had played the full season, would he be in the defensive rookie um talks? It's possible. Again, we're only forty-five snaps in, but the guys looking like what could be a potential superstar if if this continues. Uh real quick here. Uh, outside of of Trent McDuffie who are a couple of players that stood out to you guys um, um, during this week nine matchup Uh, it can't be Trent McDuffie and we cannot go the Chris Collinsworth route of Andrew Wiley because I don't know what the hell he was talking about in the broadcast Mm -hmm. that Andrew Wiley was an unsung hero I don't he clearly wasn't watching the game uh, but those are two guys that are off the table for this
1: I'm going to give you two white boys from the offense, Damn Noah man. Gray and Justin Watson. <laughs> Damn it, man. Two big and improbable catches. Um, both times when the ball got released, um, I didn't think that either of them were going to catch it. Um, I don't believe a whole lot in Noah Gray. Um, and the Justin Watson ball just like. I don't know. I don't think very many people thought it was going to catch it. Period. So I mean, it was there's
0: not a lot of guys in the in the league that can catch either of those balls. <laughs> uh, both of those should probably be candidates for for catch of the year. Noah Gray's easily mm-hmm. should be. Noah Gray should be up there for catch of the year, in between uh, two defenders over his not,
1: body, over George Pickens. There's nobody beating that Pickens catch right I, now. Yeah, I said it
0: should be in the conversation. I didn't say it should beat it. Should be in the conversation. Okay. Uh, But there is also a reason why when they drafted um, uh, Noah Gray that Chief's teammates, his teammates were running around calling him mini TK.
2: I really, really want to see us using him a lot more just for to see what we have for the future. No. But with Travis still doing what he's doing, let Travis eat, man. When Jody's back, it, uh, Noah can go back to blocking. No, let Jody just eat in the red zone. That's fine. Noah, the rest of the field.
0: He's a red so zone target out
1: there.
2: Noah's not a red zone target. I think he's a little too small for that. Prepare to Jody.
0: Yeah, no, Those are two good guys. I would... Um... Oh, don't take mine. Go. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You got him.
1: Kalen Saunders. Good one. He, Good one. He had a phenomenal game.
0: I'm sorry. How did you pronounce his name again?
1: Kalen Saunders. Colin. It's not, it's, it's, Colin. Not, it's not Kalen. Whatever. It's that specifically in his Twitter bio, too. Okay. That's on me. But I got Saunders right.
2: That man. Whew. One of the most athletic dudes on the team, honestly. And he. I want to see him at running right. back.
1: At this I mean, at this Andy. point, I mean, can we can we get one or two snaps out of the I form with Colin Saunders back there? Like, just I mean, give it a go. It's gonna be better than what we're getting out of the running backs that we've like been seeing lately.
2: That that brings up <laughs> a good question: Are we gonna activate Rojo at some point?
1: I think there's a lot of people saying, like, it would be a nice, like... Good switch up. Fresh set of legs. So, yes, like a switch it up type of thing. Um, but it's, it's getting aggravated.
0: For me, I'm going to have to say Justin Reed. Uh, dude was flying. Oh, you, did, you didn't hear his name all night, but he was flying around the field. He was mixed up in every single play. Um obviously you really didn't hear his name because they didn't pass the ball very much. Um, but he was in every single play, filling gaps, uh, flow under the open field. He was around every play. and You like to see a guy like that be mixed up and involved. Um, and, that's, and that's the game against the Titans. It was ugly. It wasn't the best, but good teams know how to win when it gets tough. Next game is going to be on Sunday in the noon hour against the Jacksonville Jaguars. We've got the storm that is coming from the Jacksonville area could turn into a hurricane. We've also got another storm cycle that's coming from the western hemisphere uh, that's going to be pushing in. They're talking about potentially two feet of snow up near the north midwestern portion of the country. Um, but we're going to see those temperatures start to fall and possibly snow in Kansas City as well. One thing to note, the Jaguars are 0-20 and 20 in their last 20 games when the temperature is 55 degrees or less. And right now it's projected to be 39 degrees or lower in Kansas City due to those storm fronts that are moving in from the west and the east. It's going to be 27 degrees on Thursday night in Kansas City. It's going to be cold, folks. The winter is here, it is coming, and we've got a game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, another team that likes to run the ball. Make sure to tune back in on Friday to check out our pregame show for that one. But always, never forget, go Chiefs. Go. Go Chiefs!